you have your Bible, you can open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be in the same passage that we were last week, although we're going to look at a couple of verses we haven't looked at yet. 1 Timothy chapter 1, begin reading in verse 12 and read down through verse 17. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you were with us last week, we talked about how Paul was a thankful man. Despite the many varied circumstances that he dealt with in life, he was a man who was thankful to the Lord. Thankful for all that God had done in his life up to this point. And he was acutely aware of his need for the strength of Christ as well. He was thankful to God, and he was thankful for the strength that God gave him, strength that he could get from no other source. It had to come from God, or he wouldn't have had the strength that he needed to minister the way that he did. So though God had saved Paul out of uh, a sinful, even regretful life and Paul knew that that was a miracle for sure he also knew that even after salvation he needed Christ the strength of Christ to live under this this new calling I think at times we we think that we need Christ for salvation and then we have this this idea that, that once we have Christ for salvation, he's, he saved us from our sins, and, and we're on a path to heaven, that, that somehow we no longer need him to live the Christian life. But when we read the Bible, that we have been saved into a, a new position, where it is our calling to live for Christ, and we read that we should understand to live for him, it will take his strength in us to do that. Then we see things differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15, it says it this way. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We, we are to live for him, live for the one who has saved us. And this means that we're to 
do what he says, to, to think how he thinks, to love truth the way he loves truth, to represent him in the world, we're to live for him. And there's just no possible way to live in a fallen world around fallen mankind apart from the strength of Christ. We need him. Life will be hard at times and impossible on our own, but not impossible under the ongoing strength of the creator of the universe. Paul was thankful that the strength of Christ was available for him, and he obviously relied on that strength as one of the greatest missionaries of all times, one of the greatest preachers, perhaps the greatest preacher and teacher and writer of all times. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul also reminds us, all of us, that his strength is important. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then Paul goes on to state some specific things for which he's thankful. And now he gets even more specific in verse 12 by naming two things that God judged him faithful and in our passage this morning, God judged him faithful and that God chose to put him into service. Being thankful in Christ leads to serving in the strength of Christ. It's kind of a natural flow. If we're really thankful for Christ and for what he's done in our lives and for salvation that he has granted to us, then that ought to lead us into some things. And one of those things that ought to lead us to is serving him. I mean, how, how thankful are we really if we're not then taking steps to, to serve him in this life, to serve him with these lives that he's given to us? Paul, again, in our passage, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful Appointing, pointing me to his service. The term faithful here, or, or your Bible, depending on what translation you're looking at, it might say trustworthy, so faithful or trustworthy. It's actually a reference to Paul's worth in God's sight. To Paul's worth in God's sight. Now, we have to be, be really careful here, I think. Paul was a man of great worth in God's sight. In God's eyes. We as Christians, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too are of worth in God's sight. We are for two reasons. First, because God has chosen to love us. So we are of worth to God because he has chosen to love us. And secondly, because of Christ who is in us. Those are the two reasons. Because God has placed his love upon us, he has chosen to love us, and because Christ is now in us. You know, we so, I say we, me, hope maybe you, you can 
put yourself in this situation if it fits. I'm going to say we. Take a leap here. We, we, we want to be of worth to God. And we want to be of worth to other people. Just because of who we are. Because I am me. <laughs> uh, and maybe because you are you. And so we think that we're of worth. And people ought to see that clearly because we do. And, and so people ought to think that we're of great worth. We, we may not say it out loud, but in our minds we may think, you should think well of me and find worth in me because, again, because I'm me. I, I'm worthy to be loved. I, I'm worthy to be, worthy to be thought well of. And, and if that's not true in your life, then you can kind of check yourself when somebody acts as if you are not worth anything. How do you respond? In fact, if people don't treat us as if we're of great worth, then very often there's some ways that we may respond to that, like we may shun them. Don't treat me the way I think I should be treated. Then we kind of stiff arm them. Or we just write them off, write them out of our lives or otherwise just distance ourselves from them. Why? Because they're not treating us the way we want to be treated, the way we think that we should be treated, or we might even say the way we deserve to be treated. I mean, if you can't see how, how great I am, then I don't really need you in my life. Again, we don't probably say that out loud, but that might be how we respond to people and act. We so want people to think highly of us just because of who we are, our personality, or just because of our longing to be loved. Just, just, just love me for me because of who I am is what we may again say or at least think. But with God, you'll notice that our worthiness has nothing really to do with us as it does have to do with God's character. Who the Father is and who Christ is. In other words, our, our worth is totally wrapped up in God himself. Outside of God, outside of God, we are nothing. With God, we are of great worth in his eyes. We can't brag about our worth. Our, our worth is in God, and our worth is in Christ. Our worth is Christ in us. Yes, God judged Paul as faithful, the passage says, or trustworthy, but here is why. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment, get this, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Why is he trustworthy? Because of God's mercy. Paul, Paul is not suggesting that he had received this uh, uh, important appointment to ministry because God thought so well of him. 
No, he was amazed that, that a man from his background would ever be entrusted with the gospel at all. He was overjoyed at God's demonstration of confidence in him by placing him, a man of violence in the past, and a threat to Christians in the past, that he would put him in a place of service for the kingdom of God. There's hope for all of us, isn't there? When we read passages like this, his faithfulness was, Paul's faithfulness was due to God's mercy in his life. God's mercy that came to Paul, that rescued Paul, and that made him a man of God. It was God's mercy. Knowing this truth ought to just, just slap the arrogance and pride out of us. Sometimes God will, God will choose to use us, me or you, in some positive way for the sake of his kingdom in significant ways. And yet we can, we can be so prone to think in our flesh that somehow we are above the next guy because we served in this way or that particular way. Even when it is not our strength, but God's strength in us. We're so helpless without Christ, and we just have to remember that. As we read last week, apart from him, we can do nothing. That, that is nothing spiritually good or effective. Apart from him, we can do nothing. When God spoke to a, a man named Ananias in cha Acts chapter 9, you might remember that story and, and told Ananias to, to go and find Paul. Here's how the Lord spoke of Paul. I think this is, this is interesting. God, go, God said to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So when Paul sent Ananias, he speaks of Paul as what? As a chosen instrument of mine. An instrument. What, what is an instrument? Well, we know what instruments are. An instrument is, a, is an object that, we, that is used to, to meet some kind of a, a need and an occupation or responsibility. It's, it's literally a tool, a tool for precision work, and it's used to accomplish a specific task. God refers to Paul as an instrument. He speaks of Paul this way. He speaks of Paul as his chosen instrument, a tool that God will use for precision work. And the thing about a tool is that it does nothing on its own, uh, unfortunately sometimes. It does nothing on its own. In fact, it's useless and it's dependent upon its user. I have tools. You probably have tools. Um, the tools in my toolbox sometimes do okay in my hand. 
Um, but in an accomplished mechanic's hands, uh, they would be much more useful and do much better work. A few years ago, we were in the process of building a house, and, and it was um, amazing to me to watch skilled craftsmen. I enjoy just watching that. And I know, I know how to do many things regarding building a house, but knowing how to do something and then actually putting the tool in your hand and doing it is two different things. I see those guys, I'd watch those guys spending an hour doing what it would take me maybe days to do and do a much better job than I could ever do. But, but we have the same tools. I've got the same tools. I can't blame my projects on the tools. It's the one using the tools that make all the difference. Paul was an instrument, a tool in God's hands. When God used Paul and when he uses you or me, we are simply tools in his hands. We are, we are instruments in the hand of God. When God spoke to Ananias concerning Paul saying, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, we see that Paul was a particular type instrument he was one that would go and, and speak to many people, present the gospel. He would train up leaders. He would do missions. He would write, as we see, as we have the scripture. He was chosen for very specific purposes. And so when Paul writes in our passage this morning in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, God judged Paul faithful as a steward, as one who had received the mercy of God, as one who is not worthy of God, because who is now worthy of God because of Christ in him, and the service would be specific to what God had called him to do. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hand. It's not as though Paul was a faithful man and then God chose him. He was not a faithful man before God chose him. He was not a faithful man before that day on the road to Damascus. Paul's very clear about this and he wants his readers to be clear on this too. He makes it clear with these words about his horrific past. He says, though, in verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, at this, at this point in Paul's life, it must have been very painful to speak these words and to remember, to recall his past. There are things, that, things in my past I don't really want to talk about or remember. Paul's past sins were very public. 
and many would have known about his past and I'm sure there were many who had a difficult time trusting Paul because they knew of his past the word had gotten around maybe some who had actually suffered tremendously because of Paul's past because of what Paul may have done to them or maybe to their family members or friends or neighbors and so Paul bring up his past he, he does so by by telling of the grace and the mercy of God his, his point is not to focus on his past but to focus on the very character of God his grace and his mercy one who can redeem a person who has done such thing and save him out of such things He didn't use his past as an excuse for idleness. Well, because I have this certain past, then I can't be useful in the kingdom of God. He didn't use that as an excuse. Rather, he uses his past to paint a vivid picture, a wonderful, real-life expression of the glory and the grace and the mercy of our God. And I want you to see how he does this. Here's his past. He was a blasphemer. Paul says, Gratitude to the Lord as one who had been one of the most vicious enemies. His, his pre-conversion state was that of a blasphemer. Blasphemer is one who defames, denigrates, and demeans. In this case, God. In Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 9, we see this type of description of Paul's pre-conversion work. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Paul not only told lies about the character of God, he, he misrepresented God in his passion to stop the church of Jesus Christ in its tracks. That was his mission, that was his passion. He encouraged also of God's people to torture, encourage, encourage torture, encouraged imprisonment, to join, um, try to get them to join with him in his blasphemous work. It's an evil thing to misrepresent God. And yet this happens constantly. And it was Paul's life to do just that. He gave his all in the, in the effort to, prior to his dramatic salvation. He, he was not a sideline enemy. He was open, public. He was a fanatical enemy of Christ. And so when Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 10 about enemies of Christ who are reconciled to him, he includes himself. This is the, the glory of salvation. It's the essence 
of love that God would save his enemies. Everyone who has ever been saved throughout all of history or who will ever be saved, even including all of us in this room who are saved, we had been enemies of God. He doesn't stop there. He says he was a persecutor. Persecution was the, the key issue in Jesus' confrontation to Paul. In Paul's hostile interaction with Christians, he was actually persecuting Jesus. On Paul's journey to, to Damascus, when Jesus confronts him and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He was an insolent opponent. An insolent opponent, this describes one who had utter disregard for other people's rights. Trampling on people's rights. Paul didn't care if his work separated families. He didn't care if his, his work separated friends or landed a person in prison or even led to their death. He was not concerned with those that he opposed. He did his work at the expense of those who chose to follow Christ, and Paul had no regret toward them. He was single-minded in his persecution. This, this is who Paul was. He was clearly an enemy of the Lord. And this evil and yet pitiful state is where the Lord met him. Paul didn't clean up his life before God entered into his life and changed him. The Lord did not meet him to give him what he deserved. He met him to give him what he could never deserve, and that is mercy. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul never gave mercy in his pre-conversion life. He never extended mercy to those that he opposed. Mercy was foreign to him. And yet he received mercy. He received mercy. He received pardon for his terrible acts. He was set free from his debt to God. The death of the one he hated was the price for his sins. He hated Jesus, and yet Jesus reached out to him in love and saved him. Jesus was his enemy, but became his Lord. This is, this is the gospel. It's the gospel as we understand it from the scripture, illustrated in Paul's life. It's one of the most clear pictures of the gospel, and that is it is mercy. This is how we should all see our salvation. When Paul said that he received mercy because of it, he acted ignorantly in unbelief, he's not minimizing his sin as sin. It's not as though his ignorance made him worthy of salvation somehow. I think he says this as 
to differentiate between his sin and the sin described in the Old Testament and the New Testament as um, as blaspheming the Lord or blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In these cases, it's done with full knowledge and defiantly. He, he was not a hardened apostate having heard and known the revelation from God and then rejecting it. That, that wasn't the case with Paul. He he was not as those described in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning of verse 4, where it says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Sinning willfully with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit after knowing the truth can result in permanent judgment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury a fire that will consume the adversaries. The sinning here means a chosen, purposeful lifestyle of sin. A chosen, purposeful lifestyle of sin. A, a, a chosen, sinful way of life, deliberately, with full knowledge, living against our Lord. a dangerous place to be. And so, back to our passage in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Abundant sin in Paul's life was replaced with abundant grace grace that overflowed in his life, overflowed with faith, overflowed with love, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this is also descriptive of the Christian life. As we have received grace and mercy and love from God, that is, those are things that should then overflow in our lives toward other people. a miraculous thing. It's a radical change. Christianity is a radical change. This is why it's described as a new life. It's a brand new life. It's a new life. It's the passing of the old life and it's the introduction of life that is new. If you are a Christian, then this describes you. No one qualifies to be used by God, to be used by him in this world as his ambassadors. No, no one does nor ever has. So God takes the unqualified, that's you and me, takes the unqualified, he takes sinners and makes them into those who are now capable of love. Love for Christ, 
in love for other people. He, he puts that in us. In us. For his glory. This is the only way anyone would ever be able to serve God. He makes us new. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 it repeats this theme. Very impactful passage. For Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Describes a, a people who are about to walk off a cliff in life. And then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that is your story. Then that is true for you. The mercy of God having come down and, and reached into your life and saved you so that you can now walk with him in his strength, in his might, for his glory. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your incredible, magnificent work in your children's lives. Lord, I thank you that you choose that. That you choose to love those who are not lovely and that you choose to change hearts and minds for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be willing instruments in your hand. That out of thankful, abundantly thankful hearts, Father, that we will serve you in grace and truth. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.